to the Heads Up Podcast. I am Jason Rogers, the head of school of Rundle College Society, and I'll be your host for this season's episode. With each new podcast, we hope to explore interesting topics relating to Rundle College student, faculty, and parent life. This season, you'll hear interviews with faculty, parents, alumni, students, and educational experts. Each episode will aim to provide an insight and context to the happenings in and around our community. Thank you for joining me and everybody in the Rumble College Society on this journey, and I hope you enjoy this Rumble experience. Welcome back to the second season of the Heads Up Podcast. To start the second season, we're doing something really unique and I think going to be quite interesting. It's a series of conversations called Take Two, and it's in direct relation to the Case Heads and Chairs Conference that's going on right now in Calgary, Alberta. Just by way of background, the Case Heads and Chairs Conference brings together 200 heads of school and chairs of their boards to share best practice and to get together and and figure out what's going on in our country in private schools. Now the take two format's pretty straightforward. First take is what the keynote speaker hoped would be the takeaway from the audience from his or her presentation. The second take is what my takeaway was, and then we'll just take a moment to discuss those two items and, and see how it applies to our schools in Canada in the private school context. So without any further ado, let's get right into the conversations. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this series. Okay, so to continue on with the Take Two series, right now I'm here with Christian Long from The Wonder Project. He's a co-founder of the design company that looks into you know, the best way to design learning environments and cultures for schools. And he's been our keynote this morning talking about wonder, curiosity, and school design. So without any further ado, let's welcome Christian Long to today's show. All right, Christian. Uh, we just we're just out of the keynote speech. Um, incredible talk with the chairs and heads. Uh, a lot about the future, but you hit on things like Legos and puddles and rocket ships and backpacks. It was uh, reaching. Um, but I'm curious if the take two format is what did you first is what did you want us to take from, and secondly is we're going to explore a little bit of what I took from the from the talk. So, if you were to sum it up, Christian, what what did you want the audience to take from your talk today? I think our great opportunity is to be as brave as the ideas we imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, I think, I think it's about living up to what we imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a head, as a board chair, as representatives of the school community, um, it's, not, it, it's not putting all of our energy into preventing mm-hmm. some negative outcome mm-hmm. but instead it's what do we stand for mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately almost every school that I work with has something already in-house that is extraordinary and worth standing for mm-hmm. but they just may not have language for it yet or it may be hidden between a wide range of initiatives or 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 histories mm-hmm. that are complicated and Christian I think you hit on something there in a lot of the design work that we're talking about and you're an educational designer by trade, I suppose. Um, but you talk a lot about language and feelings and emotions and values and little about objects. In fact, during your talk, you said, you know, we start our first date 
with here's the object too often. And I'm wondering if you can't unpack that for, for some of our listeners who weren't in the mm -hmm. audience. And uh, what does that mean? We start our first date mm -hmm. with here's the object. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, I, I, I'll try to avoid uh, going into too much detail on the, the metaphor of the first date. But in essence, uh, the reason I said the first date is that if you're engaging somebody for the first time, and it could be a donor, it could be a new family, it could be a, a design partner, and all the focus is on the kind of efficient, pragmatic mm -hmm. I guess on one level, uh, that's the work that we do um, along the way, but it's not why we commit to the work right, that calls right. us, right? And I think the sooner that as an individual, um, you know, whether she's a head of school or he's a board chair, the sooner that they can say without hesitation, mm -hmm. here's the why, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here's what we stand for. Mm -hmm. um, then what that frees us up to do is to consider a wide range of objects that we can design. So if we say we must redesign our athletic facility to be a community center, that might be the right solution. Yeah. The problem is if we don't know why we're coming together as a community, then we don't know why we're transforming that original gymnasium into a new architectural space called community space. Right. But if we know why community means something to you, right. or we know to what degree you want to claim community differently in the future, then we're in a much better position to reimagine that physical space called gymnasium or cafeteria or lobby yeah. into something. We might also, and hopefully also, find out that we can pull that off in a lot of different ways. So we may not only pull it off architecturally, but we may pull that off in terms of culture, in terms of brand, in terms of programming, in terms of experiences, in terms of what do we do once we come together and gather? We may also find out um, for a different community that what they thought was an architectural problem turns out to be something very different. Right. And architecture won't solve that problem. Yeah. It may be something, yeah. but it may not be the thing that attends to what they need more. Yeah. And so I think the sooner, uh, in a business sense or in a how do we help bring partners up to speed sense, the faster that um, an individual or team can say, by this we stand, the sooner that we can say, then let's create the conditions for that to be forever true. Yeah. Um, and I think in the in the design, innovation, iterative space, yeah. then we have to be thinking in terms of prototypes as, a as opposed to finished products. Yeah. And it's not enough to say that a space is agile mm -hmm. or a curriculum is agile right. or a learning management system is agile. We have to, um, ideally, we learn to live in a perpetually iterative, perpetually beta, perpetually in process. Yep. Um, that way, as things change, we can adapt as opposed to we're having an either or debate about the thing we designed and suddenly the new things that are coming our way. Right. And so if somebody comes to you in the Wonder Project and engages you to say, you know, come on in, Christian, we want to redesign learning spaces. Just tell me, I'm curious, where do you start? <laughs> um, well, you always start where they start. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, that's not complicated. I know you're asking a more important question, but the first part is always as simple as it's always been. They have, they have something they're wrestling with or something they're intrigued by or something they're mm -hmm. inspired to make possible, and you meet them right there. Yep. And if there is a document, a formal request for qualifications or a, you know, kind of a public statement of the thing they're going to invest in, you have to take that very, very seriously. On the other hand, if it's a less formal introduction and it begins more as a conversation and it then begins to evolve, 
um, you're still meeting them in that first conversation, right? So that's always true. I think the key is, and, and I hope this is helpful, the key is not to be an engineer, mm-hmm. but to be an ethnographer. It's okay. not to be the problem solver as they're sharing with you their, their, their expectation or their hope yep. or their problem. Yep. It's to be what an anthropologist is or an ethnographer is, and that is you enter their community to take note of who they are and right. to recognize their patterns and not to lay judgment, not to offer recommendations, and certainly not to solve. Mm-hmm. I say that because it's very easy to come in day one and say, gosh, if they only rethought their schedule, they could create a really cool capstone moment for their seniors. Yeah. Or if they rethought the tour, maybe more families would fall in love with the art program first as right. opposed to if they ask about art, whatever it is. Of course. But what, what matters more is to to not rush to solve or to even offer recommendation, but instead to be curious. And I would say this is the key thing, and I mean this very sincerely. I don't believe that the first question that a school is trying to answer is ultimately the question that is going to serve them over time right. because usually it's more practical more efficient it's it's uh they're trying to solve a problem to move on to the next challenge yeah and i think if you listen long enough you start to hear that they're really asking a different question yeah and that means you can be more appropriate with the investment that they're making yeah that means you can be more thoughtful about the histories and the backstories that led them to this moment. Yep. That means that you're not dropping in some kind of theoretical case study innovation from elsewhere, right. but instead everything is being is adapting to who they are. Um, and so I think you always start by saying, I want to be in your community as long as possible to take note of what you're curious about. Yep. And I'm going to keep out of the corner of my eye that request for qualifications or that problem statement or that original, hey, take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. Yep. Um, and I think the last thing that leads to is it allows you to realize that one path takes us in more of a siloed approach. So we're, you know, you could be anybody, but you're being asked to think about a capital campaign. You're being asked to think about a learning management system. You're being asked to think about how kindergartners can have a healthier lunch, whatever yep. the thing is, right? Yep. And so all of your attention goes to that, and on occasion you notice something else out of the corner of your eye, right? There's a periphery context you might take on occasion, but your explicit focus is that target. Or the other path says, keep the target in mind, but it's more of a gestalt, it's more of a constellation. Because if we redesign that space or redesign that AP program, redesign whatever it is, but we don't also simultaneously think about brand, schedule, the HR experience, how a young person deals with being bullied on the playground. If we don't take in that, that full ecology, yep. then we could design a beautiful object or yep. solution that ends up having no relevance because it doesn't integrate with anything else. Perfect. I think, uh, And I think that relates to another point you brought forward, which was a takeaway for me, was about uh, the non-negotiable expectations uh, of a school. So like... How do, how do schools start in on the, what is our non-negotiable expectation, as you put it in your presentation? How do we start? Um, sometimes it's already there, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of asking them to talk about it more. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's in their marketing materials. Sometimes it's the way they greet a child off the school bus. Right. And you see it, and they talk about it, and you're like, okay, it's real. This yeah. wasn't... This wasn't just positioning them in the market. This wasn't a good day to, to see it, but tomorrow yeah. it would have been different. 
Um, and so it's just spending time saying, tell me more about that. And I think, you know, sometimes I'll say the best question to ask next is why. Yeah. And the, the next four questions to ask are why, 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 and why. Yeah. And it's not as the visitor or the consultant or the partner to come in and be like, oh, great, that answer, good, then I'll design based on that first assumption, or that first response. Right. But it's to say, I don't pretend to know why that's important to you. Yes. Even if I've seen it a hundred times at a hundred schools, I want to know more about that. I want to know whether, I want to really come to understand that. So I think part of it is that. Um, I think there are certainly exercises and techniques and tools that allow in individuals or teams or community writ large um, compositions to develop that language together. Yeah. So as a parent, I might have forgotten what that admissions brochure told me. Right. It's been five years. Yeah. And it's true. I just haven't used, I haven't heard that. Like, it was so true the day I brought my four-year-old over. Yeah. And it's still true, but I've, I've never used that turn of phrase. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that I need to educate that parent of a student who's been there on campus for five years how to use our marketing language yeah. or admissions yeah. motif. But instead, it's figuring out what language do they use and trying to find where that intersection is. And that intersection is the thing. And so whether it's language, literally the semantics, the turn of phrase, or it's more um, often what we'll ask our, our communities to do is uh, we call it a snapshot. Describe for us a photograph oh, nice. of a moment in time yep. that embodies what you stand for. So yeah, you're a powerful. parent, you're an alumni, you're a board chair, you're a ninth grade science teacher. Give us a snapshot of a day in the life yep. and tell us the story behind the snapshot. So first, literally describe. So first of all, the photo is like taken from a distance. There's a hill, there's two kids running, and it's like in August, like just da-da-da-da. And you're like, oh, like I... I can see it. Powerful. It's yeah, not absolutely. a theoretical photo. It's like yeah. literally. And it's like, tell me what you see in that photo. Well, when I see those kids running, I see kids that feel really light and playful. But I also see that they don't run enough. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, you're realizing that like the photo is perfect, but there's a little bit of melancholy right in on. the story. Yeah, like yeah. it's the perfect shot, but as they tell it, they're also aching for those kids to run more often. Yeah. It's not that they don't run. Yeah. There may even be a moment in the day where it's running on the hill time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that that was a perfect moment on a field trip two years ago. Or the hill's always there, but for whatever reason, our kids go play Foursquare. Right. Um, and, and so a, a lot of times we ask people to tell us stories visually yes. as opposed to tell us stories using words because often we're all educated in words, yep. but we're not often educated as, as visual storytellers. And we're not telling that because we're doing a photography class or we're even designing space and place. But those snapshots become... Uh, they become interesting divining rods, like, mm. and and then it leads to a lot of different things. So, like, what are what are the visual stories you're telling the world? Yeah. Well, there's the graduation story. Okay. Yeah. Well, every school's got a graduation story. How does this one? You know, it's it's like here's the flag over the kid's shoulder, and here's the diploma, and their tassels yeah. here. Every school in the world has that photo. So why is that the one you're leading with? And so sometimes it can be pragmatic in terms of brand and message, but a lot of times it's like, well how many people in your community know that photo, know yeah. that story? Well, I'd, you know, I'd like to think they do, but the real truth is like, we often live in isolation. So mm-hmm. teacher A, even if she's on a really great thriving team, she's behind closed doors in this room. And she knows a lot in theory about her colleagues and she's very collegial, but the truth is she doesn't know the snapshots yeah. in real time of that. So 
sometimes like the, the backpack exercise of what do we pack, what do we take out, that kind of tool, the photograph. Um, we'll do shadow of student exercises. We'll have community members that know their community really well, and we'll have them spend a day, you know, literally shadowing a student. It's a, it's a classic yeah. ethnographic exercise. IDEO, Stanford D School uses it, and we find it really effective. Like, it's not enough to confirm what you know, and you're not going in to critique the teacher's lesson plan. A lot yeah. of leaders know that, that learning walk. Yeah. Instead, it's sit and don't have an agenda. Yeah. Follow the kids through the hallway and don't assume where they're going next. Yeah. And then we ask, what did, what did you become curious about as opposed to what did you affirm? That's right. And so there are a lot of different you know, techniques. Those are a couple off the cuff. Well, I think, and I think that's really powerful for our listeners to think about uh, the photograph exercise. And I think further to that, I'd like to just, uh, as we, I got two more questions here for you. Mm -hmm. well, I've got you. So first is um, about the backpack. So we're talking about backpack to the future here, and it's a, a big theme of the Case Chairs and Heads Conference. Um, tell me just uh, verbally, take me through a little bit of the backpack exercise or metaphor that, that you took us through as, as heads and chairs as you closed your yeah. presentation. So the backpack for me comes from two places. One, I got into this world of school design or applying design towards where schools go um, from experiential education. So, uh, you know, as a summer camp counselor, yeah. as a teacher, uh, I was really drawn to any time uh, we could get kids out of school and we could put them in the real world. And often that was in a summer camp that was on a mountain pass that was traveling across the world that was doing a service project. That always felt a little bit unsatisfying because then they were coming back to school and the two didn't often have, very few schools are those two things truly of each other. Yeah. Those were separate experiences. So what became useful for me was to start thinking of school as base camp, whether kids went off campus or not. Right. right. But in essence, when we're at school together, how does it become base camp for what is the expedition we want to go on? And yeah. that could be an intellectual expedition. It could be a literal trip. It could be a project. It could be a relationship. It could be an advisory. And therefore, if we're going on an expedition, where are we going? And then when we come back, how do we, how do we tell that story? And, and how, so that was sort of the, the merger. Um, I think the idea of a backpack as a metaphor is interesting because if you're hiking, let's say, some incredible trail mm -hmm. uh, outside of Banff or you're on the Appalachian Trail up the eastern seaboard in the U.S., you can't bring everything with you. Right. Like, you can literally cut off the handle of the toothbrush to save an ounce yeah. just so you're not lugging 81 pounds, you're lugging 89, you know, 80.8 yeah, yeah. <laughs> ounces, right? And part of it is like the literalness of like, I can't carry the weight of the world. So yes. there's a little bit of that. But also it's like, along the way, I'm going to collect a few things. Yeah. Like I'm going to collect a, a flower, I'm going to collect a rock. Yeah. Hopefully my buddies don't put a bunch of rocks in my backpack, which <laughs> often course. happens on group trips. But I want to, I want to maintain space to allow for what's discovered along the way. Right. And then if we're really, really good about what we pack and we take this metaphor and the pragmatics of packing for trips seriously, we also want some tools in there that are only useful in experiences we've never had. Yeah. Like we want, maybe we want to train how to start a fire. Maybe we want to prepare ourselves for, you know, having our, our notebook paper in a plastic bag so in case it rains. Like, yeah. But there should be other things that we're at least intellectually and spiritually in a position to try that we've never done. Yep. So that backpack metaphor, which I stole from somebody, and I, I don't remember, I've just I've decided it's just really useful. A couple of years ago, we stopped referring on a daily basis to the work we do as projects. Yeah. So it's not we did nine of these kind of projects with nine different schools. It's these are a series of expeditions we've gone on with schools. So yeah. what that means is instead of there's a project which defines the limitation of our work, yeah. or once we accomplish it, we move on, an expedition says 
we have a direction, we have a horizon line, we have a, a set of principles we stand for, we have some tools, we have some expectations where we're going, and we know our roles, and so let's design with that in mind. But an expedition also says we may discover some things along the way we couldn't have predicted, and those might be more valuable. Love it. And when we come home, so to speak, or we open up this great solution or innovation yep. box, we have to make sure that everyone who didn't go on that expedition is welcomed and that everyone right. else can translate really quickly. And it's useful, not just out there on trail, but it's useful given the work we're already doing. Yeah. And so the backpack for me is, you know, it's a simple device, you know, in a half an hour. How do you ask somebody of all the things that your school or your team or your community or program stands for? Mm -hmm. What are the two, and it's two or three things. Like, well, we want to hold on to prom. Yeah. Like, it's a ridiculous thing. Kids are spending a lot of money. But the truth is, it's the one moment we realize that our awkward, goofy kids are elegant and on the right. precipice. And another school is like, get rid of prom. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's only, we, we don't want to manage the alcohol. Yeah. We don't want to deal with kids stamp all night. Yeah. Like, we're not, you know, we're not gender traditional the way yeah. we used to be and on and on and on. And so, great. So, you have a list of things you're going to hold on to. Yeah. Right? If the apocalypse comes, you want to make sure you got that photograph of grandma on your back. Totally. Right? 100%. On the other hand, what do we get rid of? And again, as I said earlier today, it's tempting to get rid of stuff that doesn't work. So like yep. fluorescent lights. No one loves fluorescent lights. Yep. Let's get rid of them. Yep. No one likes the faculty member who just grumbles every time we get together. Yep. You know, maybe we should give her the gift of match and she moves on to another school. Like yep. easy to say those things. But what if we got rid of things that we stand for and are useful? And the real trick is we actually like defend. And we so what if we got rid of a really successful English class? I was an ex-English teacher, so yep. I throw this in. Yep. What if my favorite project every year was this newspaper project where kids wrote this full newspaper in the voice of Romeo and Juliet and they delivered it to the school and which my kids did for a while yep. and I'm like it's amazing it's and the, the local newspaper covered the meta story about the yep. newspaper and the parents loved it and kids dressed up and 20 years later if I'm still doing that newspaper I, I, that would be at best and yet we often do that so what if I got rid of that newspaper project like right. day one right. I said as an English teacher I'm gonna get rid of the thing that works so beautifully yeah because not that we have to do that project or that thing or that X, but instead the spirit of it is maintained, yep. but it gives me room to be agile. But no, and also it allows me to go into the next moment to go, I'm not going to be an expert defining what the community does or my team or my kiddos or even myself, but yep. instead I'm open to new input. I'm open right, right. to new ideas. Right. Bring it all together. What I hope that you know newspaper project is or the, the prom or the whatever I hope that the spirit of it is universal and yep. we hold tightly to what it represents, but we don't become religious about the form, the tactic, the right. tool, right. the whatever. And, yep. and you know, it doesn't take a genius to realize that if things are going to change or permanently going to change in the world around us, mm -hmm. most of the things that we think are permanent are, are right. at best at risk, if right. not irrelevant going forward. And so we want to prepare for that as opposed to be forced into that. Right. And that, I think, is a very courageous uh, way to look at, at change and, and productive. I think it creates agility and an yeah. opportunity to be curious and uh, using using some constraints to, to drive creativity, which, Absolutely. which is really interesting. Uh, as we close here, I think uh, you threw out a, and you just kind of passed over it in the presentation, but I think you were talking about 21st century skills or beyond. And, uh, and you know, you, you said some stuff about, you know, coding is a really important skill, but computers are going to be coding for themselves before too long. Uh, and I, I, we're always wrestling, like, what is a quintessential 21st century or future-ready mm -hmm. skill? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I'm going <laughs> to pin you down. What is the, if you were to yeah. identify that or define it, and I know you have to sure, have thought about sure. it, what, what is that future-ready skill? Well, uh, 
I am just as culpable of having defended a lot of the things in the last five or ten years that I probably would now dismiss. Yep. So I want to admit that whatever I say now, anyone that knows me has worked with me knows there was a moment where I thought, because like anyone listening to this or anyone not listening but just in these yeah. schools, like we're all figuring it out in real time, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think the basic premise is this. Just because 21st century began didn't mean anything dramatically changed, right? Y2K, yeah. which seems laughable now, but there was a moment where we went, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think that the very premise of 21st century is anything more than a convenient bumper sticker. So right. if we can just collectively say, let's roll our eyes with some <laughs> respect, but let's totally. take away. If we start to say, what are the skills? Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with uh, having some language or phrases or uh, frames that feel useful. So I think for a lot of us, you know, what Tony Wagner and others have done is they've, you know, whether it's the flat earth or a whole new mind or the four C's, like you just think about all the business books and education books in the last decade minimum, and trust me, it's not just the last decade, who have said the skills we need now are X. And mm -hmm. they're all true, And but where I find it interesting is when were they not true? Right. So as, as opposed right. to like, they're really true now, there probably was, there probably are a few moments where collaboration and creativity weren't also useful, that that critical thinking and communication weren't also applicable, right? Right. right. So I can't believe that those things are inherently or novelly right now. It's just that they package really quickly and they use alliteration of the four C's and yep. it's an easy thing. But here's what I do think is if those things are true, we have to look at them in a different way. And so I think when we say collaboration, we really mean teaming right. most of the time, which I meant I mentioned very quickly yeah. in the talk. What we really mean is efficient use of resources and talent and time. That's not collaboration. Got it. Collaboration means we start to blur the boundaries between us, Got it. that we have to let go of a lot of the presets we have, and that we're going to be like a good chemistry set, utterly transformed. We can't go back to our original state. Right. If you're teaming, you can go back to your original state. Right. If you're collaborating, it's going to be messy and inefficient, which means it's working. Yeah. But we as adults, the last thing I would say is a lot of our 21st century skills, we identify them for young people, and I suppose that's good, but we do very little to do it for one another. Right. And I don't mean to each other or at each other. Right. We do that. Yeah. We suddenly tell everyone they must come up with a collaborative project. But we don't actually create the conditions for us to learn how to navigate that as colleagues and professionals together. Yeah. So a lot of our 21st century skills we're actually creating this Maginot line between the very people who are the elders, the mentors, and the guides, the experts, and the people they're serving, the kiddos, if you would, Amazing. the students, right, the yep. novices. So most of the 21st century skills that I roll my eyes at, it's not that the skill is irrelevant. They've almost always been relevant for millennia now. But what it is is that we're not seeing the irony that we're creating those conditions for young people, but we're doing almost nothing to ensure that the human beings that are going to mentor them are feeling the benefits of those in real time. Love it, yeah. And so I think some of what I would say, there maybe are some future skills, and, and these are probably true for kids, and, and I would say certainly true as teams of adults. We talk a lot about the future as if it's some generic linear thing that's going to just naturally unfold in natural progression. Yeah. We do nothing to think in terms of a radical multiplicity of plausible outcomes. So we don't think like futurists, we just use one phrase or one sentence that you, the word future is plugged in as an adjective or a noun. Got it. And we don't actually think, well, how would a futurist approach not 
give us the answer, but approach the problem. Yeah. It's in the same kind of situation that we teach kids the basics of mathematics and the basics of economics, and we could say micro, macro, but we don't teach kids how to invest. Right. Right, we don't right. teach kids how to balance gotcha. a checkbook and how to deal with behavioral economics or the psychology of the choices they'll make. Yeah. We treat everything as if there's a linear progression in a problem yeah, set. Yeah. So I would say the same thing we do when we think about the future is we talk about, you know, and there's a reason I wink, wink, nudge, nudge, brought up spaceships. Like, yeah. we talk about Elon Musk, but we do the same thing about Einstein. We want mm -hmm. every kid to be an Einstein. To be really honest, we don't yeah. need a world of Einsteins. Yeah. We need a world of people who cock their head and think about the patterns forming, but we don't need everyone to be an Einstein. Yep. That yep. would be facetious at best with you. and yeah. morally suspect at worst. So as futurists, we need to stop thinking about, you know, our kids will have different jobs. That's a throwaway. That's not useful to us. Or that different industries are going to change. Y yes, and, and that's always been true, just different scales of speed. What we need to start thinking about is complexity and systems think. Yeah. We need to start thinking about when things don't fall into convenient linear progressions, but mm -hmm. we start thinking about it's more 3D chess versus you know, a single board chess, yeah. but it's not chess. It's the idea that chess is happening, but so is checkers, but also is throwing sand on the beach. Like It's all happening simultaneously, and most of our assumptions, and, and this I'm, I'm right on the verge of some kind of like rant, and forgive me for that, <laughs> most of our assumptions are because that was our previous experience. Yes. And therefore, we have to, at least with a smile on our face, ask ourselves, what of our many defaults are we willing to challenge? So, for instance, most of our schools are predicated on the belief that we exist to help young people go to university and college. And 50 years ago, that wasn't true for almost any of our schools, but it yeah. absolutely is the non-negotiable now. Yeah. But it's a tactical non-negotiable. It's not a spiritual right. mission-based right. non-negotiable. And here's part of our problem, is we assume college is going to be inevitable. And we assume the value proposition right. of college is always going to be worth the investment. Even if it gets more expensive, it's still better than being not educated in college. But if we spend any time, and we don't look at it as educators with college degrees, trying to help kids of families who want college degrees get into college so they can get a degree. Yep. If we step out of that paradigm and simply say, does the future care if we have college? It becomes impossible to not have most of our assumptions challenged the moment we pause and yes, think about that, right? Absolutely. And so if that comes the case, and most of our business and curricular and tactical and organizational structures are based upon getting kids into college and celebrating 100% matriculation, which every other independent school also says. Yes. So there's no distinction there. It's a, it's a, it's a depleting asset, not a growing asset, right? And so if we don't stop thinking in those terms, but instead we say, no matter what our kids face next, they'll be agile and capable yeah. in a position to make positive impact. Yeah. And we want them to have, I would rather a school say, we want them to have the option of college, yeah. but we don't care if they go. Yeah. If they go to college, we want them to partner with the university, not begged to be admitted to right. that university. Right. Right. When they go, we want them to realize what is the long-term financial yeah. deficit they're shouldering and getting scholarships is not enough for us to pat ourselves on the back. Meaning what are the opportunity costs that they are both willing to pay and are unaware of. And if we look 5, 10, 20 years out, yeah, we don't know if we're right or wrong. But I would say that there are a significant larger number of future possibilities that have nothing to do with university. And therefore, what it means is, are we willing to have conversations about why K-12 schools exist in the first place? Because 50 years ago, they didn't exist to get kids into college. Yep. Now the only reason they exist, if we're really honest with yeah. ourselves, yeah. is to get kids in college. 
And the ones who don't, we're going to be okay anyway, or they hit an emotional, psychological, or, or physical mm-hmm. wall because of addiction or divorce or yeah. just their own maturity. And so they're outliers in our, in, our, in our currency. So if we, on the other hand, said we want our young people to be able to meet a college and to ask why would I, in terms of my opportunity yeah. cost, decide to partner with you? Yeah. And if so, why am I unique to that? It's right. a very different graduate than the kid says, I got into these nine schools and I haven't even thought twice about being 45 and whether that degree will be useful to me given yeah. the fact that I don't even know what I'm like. So we argue about college, you know, the percentage of salaries based on college grad. Like we, we have these really low level debates and defenses about the spreadsheet of what a college degree is worth. Yeah. And it's worth more than if you have an eighth grade education. But morally, that's not sand to stand on. Yeah, like, yeah. like, that's not why your school doesn't, I don't care if your school exists, if that's what you bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. I want to know why my, in the competitive single player sport of my child, I want to know why they're going to be in a position to respond to the future in ways that we can't predict. In the collective experience, not the single player competitive sport, I want to know that my young person and our community is going to be in a position to be worthy of what's coming next. Right. I hope that's not just being clever or cute or philosophical. I just know with a child who's in fourth grade and a child that's in eighth or sixth grade, excuse me, class of 2027 and 2025, I no longer care about their school getting them into college. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, I don't have any idea if that college degree is going to be worth anything. I do care if that school honors who they are and teaches them to look adults in the eye and their peers in the eye, shake hands and be humbled and confident in equal measure. I no longer care if you're going to get either of my kid into college. And the truth is, most of what's going to define my kid at that moment is going to have very little to the school. It's going to have everything to do with who they are as a human being. So it becomes on one level, as a client, Yeah. How can we structure a relationship between my kid and your school? Right. And that is non-negotiably about me being a client, and I don't apologize for it. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry. History, I don't care anymore whether or not back in the past I trusted you. Yeah. It is very much a matter of that relationship. On the other hand, I also know you don't owe me. You don't have to provide everything. Right. You no right. longer have to be everything for my kids. Right. Because you're only providing a portion of what they're going through. What is non-negotiable is the kind of human being they'll be along the way. And I want to know that it's in service of something more than what college they get into. I think, uh, Christian, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. And I can hardly wait for our listeners to listen to this and uh, and have conversations afterwards. I am looking forward. I really appreciate your time today. And I hope you engage in all kinds of case school work around here because we have a lot to learn from you. So thank you for your time. And well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks.